If you've got your Bible, you want to open it up to the book of Revelation. It's on page 1004 of your church Bibles here. Pretty easy to find. It's the second last chapter of the Bible. So we're going to go right to the end of the story and we're going to hear what uh, God has to say to us. And as Jim said, God is a speaking God. Uh, It says in the book of Hebrews, Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as they did in Meribah. God is still speaking and he wants to speak to each one of us here this morning at Calvary and he does that through his word. So Revelation 21, and I'm going to read the first seven verses. So hear the word of the Lord. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this and I will be their God and they will be my children. Let us pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we all come from different weeks. Some of us have had weeks where we've had great joy. We've seen you actively involved in our circumstances and we come here and we give you thanks this morning with hearts that are overflowing with joy. Others have come here this week, Lord, and perhaps we've come with a a burden on our heart the stresses of marriage, the difficulty of work, being in a family where no one loves the Lord Jesus. Maybe we're wrestling with mental health and Lord, we come here with heavy hearts. Speak to us. Speak comfort to us that are in need. May we leave this place not just being smarter sinners, but transformed children who live for the delight and the reputation of your Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ who have sung about today, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Lord, teach us through your word. Examine our hearts that we might live in a way that brings honour to your son, the Lord Jesus, for we ask this for his reputation. Amen. One of the joys and challenges that my wife Tamara and I have is of being parents and not to embarrass our children down here, but uh, God strategically, we might say, has placed Tamara and I to steward these young lives. We have three children, Annabelle, 15, Adam, 13, and Zara Lily is 11. And over the last few years, we have tried and sometimes and perhaps often failed in directing them. We are trying to shepherd them the best that we can before the Lord into life decisions. And every now and then, we'll have conversations that carry different freight. Some conversations are lighthearted, but others are more serious. And nothing is off the table. So we will sometimes chat about, uh, I remember a few years ago, that one of the questions was, what about the dinosaurs? Dad, tell us about dinosaurs. 
They thought I lived with the dinosaurs, but they said, tell us about dinosaurs. On other occasions, it's dead. Did you hear about Taylor Swift? And I say, no. And, and we might talk about that. Now that they're getting a little bit older, we're talking to them about making life decisions. College, marriage. But a few years ago, my son asked me one of those questions when he was probably about the age of 11 or 12. We were in the car just driving, and it was a question I knew that was coming, and it's one of those ones that a father and son have to negotiate at about the age of 12, where he asked me, he said, Dad, is professional wrestling real? I assured him it was and quoted some lines from Nacho Libre and we moved on to uh, other important topics. It's really interesting. I don't know. There are some topics in life that you want to talk about and drill down in. Some carry a little bit of weight, but others are very important and significant in helping us negotiate and navigate life. Here at your church, no doubt, I've been listening to some of the series in Isaiah that Pastor Jim has been preaching, and I hope you haven't been hearing blah, 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 blah. (laughs) But I hope you've been hearing the word of the Lord as he's been speaking to you. And as we come to this topic today, you're taking a step out of Isaiah, but I think it's going to supplement some of what you've just even been talking about in the last few weeks about a new kingdom and a new heaven and a new earth. Now, why does God give us this wisdom? Why would he want us to drill down in this? Well, I believe it's because when you know the destination that you are going to end at, it is encouraging to live now in life circumstances that might be quite difficult. When the Apostle John recorded the revelation that we have read just this morning, he was not living in a context that was easy or comfortable. I remember reading the Bible uh, to the children a few years ago. It was a children's Bible. It was a great Bible, lots of colorful pictures. And I remember getting to the book of Revelation and it said about John, John was in the spirit on the Lord's day on the island of Patmos. And it had a picture of John under a coconut tree on the beach. It's sort of hands on head. Now, I think sometimes um, we, we, in reading Revelation, we might miss actually the context in which John was living. John was not on Patmos because he wanted to go there on a holiday. He had been sent there because he was going around, particularly in Asia Minor, saying, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is the true monarch. And that emperor over there is an imposter. It's not him. And as a result of his obedience, John is exiled to Patmos. I've got no doubt discouraged, no doubt overwhelmed. Here I am living in the will of God and I'm in prison. And it's at that point that he gets a revelation from and about the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, who in chapters 18 to 21 in particular, makes a contrast between two cities. One is called Babylon, and Babylon represents all that is true of our world. A few people ruling, bloodthirsty men. There's injustice everywhere. But then he says, that is Babylon. But then he says, I'm going to give you a vision of a different city, a city to which you belong, John, that is the new Jerusalem. And it's designed to encourage him. Sometimes we get to a book of Revelation and we've got symbols and difficult language and we get a bit lost in the details Today, I just want us to zoom back and hear what the message of Revelation is about. And that is simply this, follow the lamb. Follow the lamb because your destination is heaven and guaranteed. 
And that's the word for John, and I think that's the word for us this morning. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go through this passage, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to make four simple observations about what heaven is like. And as I prayed, this is not designed so that you can leave this place being a smarter sinner. This is designed to encourage you and exhort you to who you are in Christ, that you might continue to follow the Lamb in faithfulness, just as the original audience was exhorted to here in the book of Revelation. Well, as we begin, verse one, the first observation I make about heaven is heaven is everything that you and I are longing for. Heaven is everything that you and I are longing for. I'm gonna suggest our final destination is what we have been built to enjoy. And yet each of us have a yearning in our life that we know the world is not as it should be. See, as we woke up this morning, it's great to go out. There's beautiful, I was going to say beautiful weather. I might just rephrase it. We woke up this morning, there was cold weather uh, outside. But we go out and we enjoy the day. But no doubt if we had put on the radio or turn on the television or read the newspaper, very quickly we'd be reminded of the brokenness of the world in which we live. Our world is utterly broken. Now we know this is because of sin, but each of us are both the perpetrators of sin, but also the victims of it. And the net result is we live in a world that is broken, that leaves us yearning for something better. And this is what John records. He sees a new heaven and a new earth. Why? For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I observe here that this heaven that we're longing for, it is new. It's different than the world that we live in. You see, when I see chronic fatigue overwhelm a friend who they just getting out of bed is a difficult thing to do, I yearn for a new heaven. When I see somebody walking around with depression and anxiety, maybe even their whole life, I yearn, and you might be in that position, you yearn for something more. It's why in Romans 8, each of us has this groaning where we want the redemption of our bodies. We want the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. That is a yearning. When it says in the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Guess what? That's this yearning for this new heaven and new earth. But I'm reminded in this great vision of heaven, this is what we're longing for. We've been created for. The world as we know it now is not the end point. John will even throw in a a curious little phrase. There was no longer any sea. Now, my country is surrounded by sea. We like the water in Australia. Maybe not the sharks and the crocodiles, but we like the sea. And so I come to a passage like this, and that's a bit disappointing. Well, John is using, uh, or he's got a vision here, and the idea of no sea, in the ancient world, the sea was a place of mystery and a place of danger. They didn't know as much about the ocean and certainly it was a place that represented chaos and disorder. And you know what John is saying in this revelation about the Lord Jesus and from the Lord Jesus? Don't have to worry about fear anymore. There's not gonna be any reason to be afraid. Why? Because it's a new heaven, new earth. It's passed away. Things have changed. It's different than our broken world, but it's also stunning. Look at verse two with me. He said, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride. I love this. Brides actually prepare themselves. 
Uh, I have the, the, the uh, great privilege of being married to my wife, Tamara. 17 years uh, we've been married. And I remember our wedding day. In fact, I remember the Samra's wedding day. I was, I was there as well. But I remember uh, in my particular, my wedding with my wife, we got married in the second longest aisle. Well, we got married in church. They had the second longest aisle in all of Sydney. It was something like 900 feet or something like that. I don't know what, maybe something like that. I just know meters. But it was a long way. And I remember this was terrific, except our flower girl, who was four years of age, decided she would walk down very slowly. So there was one small step for man, one small step for mankind, and it it took about 20 minutes for my wife. (laughs) But here's the thing. At a wedding, people aren't looking necessarily at the groom, but their attention is focused on the bride coming down. And she was stunning. And this is what the Bible does. When Jesus talks about heaven, and the revelation here talks about heaven, there's beauty here. This is designed, it's, um, it's language that's emotive. It's meant to bring a certain feeling to you. So when we ask, what is heaven like? I'll tell you what it's like. It's like a beautiful bride. It's stunning, gorgeous, jaw-dropping, takes your breath away, is, is, is central in what you're looking at. That's what the new heaven is like. It's interesting when Jesus teaches elsewhere, he, he uses other metaphors to explain and encourage what the kingdom is like. It's like a banquet. I love banquets. I love, as you can probably tell from my portly character, uh, I love food. I love banquets. And, and here's the thing about a banquet. When I think of a banquet, I don't know what you think of. I think of food. I think of friends. I think of laughter. And I'm part Scottish. I think somebody else is paying for it. <laughs> but here, but here, here's the thing. Heaven is designed, uh, these images are designed to evoke within us feelings. That's what heaven's like. It's like a garden, beautiful, paradise. It's like a city where you don't need doors. Why? Because you're not trying to keep keep baddies out or, or, or stop them from coming in. It's a place where there's nothing to fear. That is what the heaven that I'm yearning for, but I don't experience just yet. We need heaven. When I look around at people who are suffering, I yearn for something more. It's stunning. But also, it's the place where God dwells. Isn't this special? Let's look again uh, a bit further down in verse three. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. I teach at a Bible college and amongst the other courses that I teach, I teach uh, a course for second year students. It's a compulsory course called Greek Grammar. Now that warms your soul, doesn't it? Greek grammar, try teaching it. Okay, so I teach Greek grammar. And the funny thing is with students, they will sometimes come to me uh, hearing a sermon and I'll say, Malcolm, we heard the sermon said God is love, but what does the Greek say? And I'll say, the Greek says God is love. Okay, it's fairly straightforward. But here's the the assumption they make, that I have unique insight into the Bible. Or God has a special channel because I'm in ministry that he speaks with me with. But here's the reality. Like most of us in this room, it's not every day, every time I read the Bible, words don't always jump off the page. Now, many times they do. But when I, when I pray, not every prayer, I feel like God is speaking directly to me. Sometimes I feel like I'm praying and I just feel like I'm going through the motions. Every now and then though, and semi-regularly, I feel intimate with God that, that God is speaking to me through His Word, through His Spirit, through His people. 
And I love those moments of great intimacy, but to be honest, they're few and far between. I yearn for the day when God will be among His people, just as it was in the Garden of Eden. You remember that? In the cool of the evening, God would walk with His people. Wouldn't it be fantastic to leave this place and to have that intimacy with God? Now, at the moment, we can experience some of that. We pray to God in praise. Spirit speaks to us and does His work in our life, but we are still yearning for the day when that will be in fullness and uninhibited. And this promise here that is given, that God is dwelling amongst His people. He will also be free of heartbreak. Look at verse four. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Friends, to be honest, I get very discouraged and very down when I look at the world and how broken it is. You might be here today. Your children might be bullied at school and it breaks your heart. You might be uh, coming out the back end of a marriage that you thought would last forever and it just hasn't gone the way that you had hoped it had. You might be wrestling with a physical illness or a mental illness and you're wondering how long, how long, how long, how long. This passage gives you a great word of encouragement to say this is not the final destination. God is not done. This is not ultimate. There will be a day when God will live with you and personally, it says he will wipe away every tear from your eye. Don't you yearn for that? That is the day that we long for. Now you might say, Malcolm, that sounds pretty good. Heaven is what I'm longing for. But how can we know it's really true? Well, we can because of the authority of Jesus. Heaven is assured. Look at verses five and six again with me. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Write down these words, for these words are trustworthy and true. When Jesus says, I am making everything new, He doesn't say, I'm gonna give it a crack. I'm gonna give it my best shot. I'm gonna try and you know, give it a bit of a renovation and try and improve things. He says, I will make all things new. You know why I can get out of bed on a frosty Grand Rapids morning? It's because I know that He sits on the throne. I know that He is worthy of my praise. I know that He has conquered death. He said He would die, He did. He said He would rise again, He did. He says He will come back for His people, He will. How can I know heaven is mine? Not because of the works I've done, because it is assured because of the trustworthy words of the Lord Jesus. It's based on His authority. Look at verse six. Jesus said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It's based on Jesus and He's got a pretty reliable track record of doing what He said He would do. You know, I have a lot of wishes. I wish that the Canterbury-Bankstown Bulldogs would win the rugby premiership this year, but I'm not too optimistic. Some of you out there hoping that the, the Chicago Bears or the Lions, this is gonna be the year, probably not. <laughs> but here's the reality. I don't base my hope on feelings or whims or hallmark Christianity that says, oh, maybe it'll be better. I base my hope on the risen Lord Jesus Christ who said, I will make all things new. And church, that is where you need to be putting your trust. Heaven is what we long for but it is also assured. Thirdly, it is a gift. Notice what the mighty Jesus says about who heaven is for. He says, to the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. You'll notice it is without cost. 
This is a quote from Isaiah, or as you might say in these parts, Isaiah. All right, and he quotes here Isaiah, or Isaiah, and what he's saying is, you have a need, that thirst, that is because you live in a broken world, an old order, I will satisfy it. Jesus said in the Gospels, didn't he? Anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. From out of them will spring springs of living water. And Jesus says here, this was, says about Jesus, to the thirsty, I will give water without cost. Now we know that heaven comes as a result not of what we do. It comes through the grace and the mercy of a God who can quench our thirst and has done so through the Lord Jesus. Friends, heaven is a gift. It is not an earning. It is not something that you do. It is something that you receive as a thirsty soul only through the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it comes without cost, but we know that the cost, there was a cost. The Bible says that Jesus in the fullness of time came and he lived the perfect life among us and bore our iniquities, or as one person in church history has said, he became the son of man so that we might become the sons of God. He humbled himself, became obedient to death. Why did he do this? Because he wanted us to live in perfect harmony and relationship with God, both now but in the not yet kingdom that is yet to come. Friends, there is something better, but it is a gift. It is not something you earn. Heaven is something that you long for. It's assured, but it's also a gift. But lastly, heaven is only for those who accept the invitation. It is only for those who accept the invitation. Many years ago, uh, we had our high school reunion and it was great. We went back there and a lot of people were very surprised to hear that I'd become a Christian. And they knew me in this particular town as Wombat, which I won't go into. Uh, but they, they, they said, Wombat, you of all people, a man of the cloth, a religious guy. And then as the night went on at the, the ceremony, a few of them had unfortunately got on the drink and they would come up to me and they said, can I confess my sins to you? Okay, and, and so anyway, I decided, look, I need to reconnect with some of these schoolmates. And so I did. So I got on social media and just tried to reconnect. And it's funny, how many of my friends said, look, I'm not religious, I actually don't believe in God. And some of them were quite antagonistic to Jesus and the gospel. And yet, and yet, when something would happen in their life, particularly death, somebody related to them, all of a sudden these people who reject the Bible, have no time for Jesus, to use the language uh, of Isaiah that you've been looking at, they would not allow him to be their good master. And yet when it came to death, they said, well, our friends died or our parents died, we know that they're in a better place. Really? Where do you get that idea? When I hear Christians sometimes even echo this language, well, you know, so-and-so has died, well, they're in a better place. Yes, but where do you get that idea? You've got to base your hope on the resurrection of Jesus, that he will make all things new. Don't base it on a hallmark card Christianity that has beautiful sentiments, but is not based in truth. And here, I would say to you this morning, heaven is restricted. But here's the wonderful news. It's open to anyone who would receive Jesus. Today, the gift is there for you if you've not ever received forgiveness that you can simply ask and by acknowledging, God, I have done the wrong thing. I know the world is broken. I'm part of that problem, but I see your solution in Jesus being the one who paid the penalty for my sin. I know that I can't do anything to merit heaven. I'm going to trust in what he has done. 
You see, in, in the book of Revelation here, it will use language of those who identify or who are victorious in Christ. And right through the book, those who are victorious in Christ, look at chapter 21, verse 27, talking about the kingdom. It says, nothing impure will ever enter into it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those names who are written in the Lamb's book of life. You have to have your name written in the, the book of life. When I perform weddings, it's one of the, the joys of the ministry I do. I perform weddings and I do a little bit of work as it were. And then later on, get to go to a wedding reception, enjoy a meal, dance with my wife. Fantastic. But here's the thing about wedding receptions. You can't just turn up to a wedding reception. Okay, you, you need to RSVP. You need to say, I'm coming. And it's so nice yeah, when you go to a wedding and you, you, you get to the front door and it says, table seven, Malka Tamar Gill. Woo, I can be here. There's a spot for me. And that was one of the songs, wasn't it? We sang before, in my father's house, there's a place for me. Malcolm Gill, Lisa Samra, your name, Bill, Sue, Bob, is your name in the book of life? Mine is. And it's not because I'm a good person. It's not because I'm Australian. It's because of the grace of God who says, because you've associated with my son, I'm going to forgive you. Your name's in the Lamb's book of life. And as a result of that, I've accepted the invitation I can know. It'd be a shame for you to come here today and hear the invitation and to walk away saying, that's just not for me. You don't know. I don't know how long God will give us. But I do know today is the day of salvation. And it says in the book of Hebrews, as we've, we've already alluded to, God is still speaking. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, but receive the joy, the forgiveness that is found in Christ. Let the one who is thirsty, some of you today are still thirsty. Your, your thirst is not gonna be quenched with alcohol. It's not gonna be quenched by another relationship. It's not going to be quenched by a career change. There's only one person that can meet your needs and it is our glorious God through the Lord Jesus Christ. A couple of applications that result as a re result of thinking through what heaven means. First of all today, the obvious one is if you've never responded to the invitation, you've known maybe about this your whole life, but all you've been saying to God is blah, 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 blah. His word to you today is accept the gift. Accept the gift. Just ask God, God, I'm wrecked it. I want to accept the gift. And as was said earlier on, for again from the book of Isaiah, God's word won't return void. If you ask for God, if you ask for his grace and mercy, he is the God who will give it. He still gives it without cost. Secondly, if you're here today and perhaps most of us know the Lord Jesus, this book maybe is just a reminder of the vision of what is yet to come. Because sometimes we can be so focused on the here and now, our mortgage, our career, our children, that we forget and lose perspective there is something greater. That's why when we were singing these songs today, I really meant it when I talked about the choir and, and hearing the prayer. This is a rehearsal of a thing that's yet to come. And I look forward like most of us do to the, the time that we will bow down and we will or even stand and we will praise the lamb worthy to be slain. But right now, God has placed you here in Grand Rapids, in your job, in your family, so that you might tell people not just about the destination, but more importantly, who is at the destination. 
The God who not only is the God that gives the gift, He's greater than the gift. And friends, that is the reminder today for you. Are you sharing the gift? You remember in in the gospel, I think it's the gospel of Luke, Jesus talks about the banquet. Go out and invite people. And some people say, no, I'm busy with my oxen. Don't want to come to your banquet. Others say, I just got married. Don't want to come to my banquet. And what Jesus say? He says, go out and invite anyone you can. Go to the highways and the byways and invite people. Come to the kingdom. That is your job. That is what God, He's given you eternal life that you might share that joy and forgiveness with other people. When our children were really small, there was a game in Australia that we would often play at birthdays called Pass the Parcel. I don't know if they do it in this country, but what they would do, they would get a, a gift and they would wrap it up with a layer of paper and they might put a, a candy in it and then they'd wrap it up again and another thing. But the last layer, the last level right in the middle was the important one. And the way it would work in this game, you would start off and they'd have the children, sort of eight or 10 children there, and they would play music. And while ever the music was going, you would pass the parcel. But you would hope that when you would get the parcel, the music would stop. Because then you would rip off the paper and you would receive a candy. And you were hopeful that you were the last layer, because then you would get the really good prize. And the funny thing is, when a child is about four years of age, pass the parcel works and the children fairly innocently get the gift and they pass it on to the next person. But they get to the age, I think it's about five or six, and they cotton on to what mum and dad are up to. And they know that somebody's in control of the music. And so they get the gift, and what happens when they're passing the gift, they will, they will get it. And little Johnny will get the gift, and he'll sort of hold it, and he's meant to pass it. Until his mum yells out, Johnny, pass it, oh, and passes the parcel. I wonder how many of us have the hope of heaven the hope of life with God, intimacy with God, joy with God. We know that's to come. How do we know? It's based on Jesus. It's based on his certainty. But God has given you this gift. Who are you passing it to? Because this is not just a gift for you. It's a gift for all people. It's a gift for the people in Mozambique like it is Australia, like it is America. How are you participating in what God is doing? How are you sharing that grace and forgiveness? Because friends, heaven is not simply for you. In the ancient world, one of the customs that they would have for marriage would be when, uh, when a couple would get married. It wasn't like nowadays where there'd be a romantic Lionel Richie song and an engagement and this sort of thing. In the ancient world, two fathers would come together and they would arrange a marriage. I want my son to marry your daughter. Dowry would be paid. Usually a cup of wine would be exchanged to symbolize a covenant. And that point, when they would make the agreement, when the dowry was paid, when the cup was exchanged, what they would do is at that point, be con- the couple would be considered betrothed, the young man and the young woman. While the time would pass, they would then wait about nine months, probably for a good reason. Uh, they would have a nine-month period of betrothal And after the nine months would be up, the young woman would know that guess what? Her groom could come at any time. She would then wash herself regularly. Okay, this is in the ancient world. You didn't take baths or showers very often, but she would because she wanted to be beautifully adorned for her husband. While she was preparing during that nine months, the young man would go away and he would be there at the parents and he he would build into the parents a little place so for him to live 
wouldn't move to a different suburb, but just build an additional uh, place. And then after that nine-month period, the bride was waiting, waiting, waiting. Today might be the day. And then the groom would come with great pomp, circumstance, and he would take the bride, his bride, and he would take the bride back after days of celebration, and they would live together in the parents' home in the additional room. This is the imagery Jesus will use in John 14 of heaven. He will say, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms and I go there to prepare a place for you. And guess what? If I go to prepare a place for you, I'm gonna come again and take you to be with me. And Thomas says, Lord, how do we know the way? We don't know where you're going. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Friends, Jesus today gives us the hope of heaven. It's assured. It's what you long for. It's a gift that you and I need to respond to. May that be our joy and delight as we leave this place to serve the Lord this week.